Hey, before we get into this next podcast with Phil Freeman, I wanted to let you know, please go check out trenchcoffeeco.com and use the promo codes ones ready. Uh, it's my absolute favorite coffee. In fact, I've sent uh, numerous bags, at least three that I can think of, maybe four or five uh, to the United Kingdom. They even said that it was the best coffee they ever had. Uh, I give it out as gifts all the time, too, because of how good it is. Jeff and Jerrica, phenomenal people, um, still serving the community, and absolutely best coffee right out of Las Vegas. So please go check them out, trenchcoffeeco.com, promo code ones ready. And now on to the podcast. Yeah, real, very proud of you. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room. We've got Trent, myself, and we've got retired Master Sergeant Phil Pimp. Freeman, we probably won't go into how you got the call sign pimp because it's an acronym. Uh, and I would hate to disparage you on YouTube by the 10 people that are, uh, that are actually watching and listening to us, but, uh, it is Phil or pimp. And we're going to go with that from, uh, here on out. So welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm man. I'm only going to be able so to you think and I about been that a, now. You just gloss over yeah, yeah. it. You bring it up and like, and then you say we can't talk about it. It's all I want to talk about now. It's all I want. To talk I don't about. have a problem. So it's a, that's all up I don't to, have a problem with to Phil. Well, then explain okay. it real quick. Get, give a little bit of intro on on who you are and what you're about, and then let us in on the whole. Yeah, all right. thing. Yeah, I'll get to the thing. So, uh, born and raised <laughs> in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, uh, out in a place called Tucker, which is on the east side of Atlanta, with the you know elementary school, high school there, played sports. You know. Didn't really put a lot of effort into my high school like I should have, like I try to get on my kids to do. Um, You know, I just, I think my parents just gave up. They're like, yeah, this guy's, you know, he can eat crayons and and play with Play-Doh the rest of his life. So, um, so I graduated high school. Then I went to college um, locally and basically just wasted some time. Got a few classes in and, uh, you know, some of friends of mine that were in school were like, hey, you know, the teachers don't care if we show up. I'm like, really? So started going water skiing during the week and not paying attention, to, you know, just really didn't have it together. So I ended up working for my dad and we were building a log home out to the you know, east of Atlanta, further east, you know, out in the suburbs. Now it's part of the suburb of Atlanta, but back then it was out in the country. So I, I wanted to get the day off to go buy journey tickets. And he goes, you need to go in the military because he was a Marine. He goes, you could join the Air Force. They have beer and ice cream. So they work nine to five. So I was like, all right, I'll think about that. He goes, if you go see a recruiter, I'll let you have the day off to go get those tickets. So I went and got the tickets because it was in the morning. I had to spend a night, you know, and all that. And then uh, after that, I went straight over to the recruiter's office like he asked me to do. And walked in, and I was like, you know, I want to be an air traffic controller. And thinking that there's not, not knowing any of the process. And, of course, the recruiter's like, sure, you can be an air traffic controller. So going through the whole list, and they, you know, it's open general, open uh, electronic, open mechanical, and open admin or something. I don't know. So he puts me in for open general. I had no idea what that meant. But he said, you're going to be an air traffic controller. So, oh. of course – yeah. Oh, you could be. Yeah, I could have maybe. been. I could have been a lot of things, which I probably should have been handing out towels, driving a bus, <laughs> flipping eggs, you know, which actually, you know. Hey, so so that's a good that's a good point. If you're out there, you're going to see a recruiter and somebody says, hey, I can get you in open general. That means you're open to anything that the Air Force air needs of the Air Force. You don't get a say mm-hmm. in what you do. So. Cautionary yeah. tale. Yeah, I mean, it, it could have went real bad for me. Um, but like I said, you know, you could have been a cook. You could have, you know, uh, services or whatever, or driving vehicles, which, you know, I got to do those things while I was in CCT. I got to drive a bus and a deuce and some big vehicles. And I was, you know, like, look at what, you know, my friends could see me now, you know, the CCS. I was the VCO. <laughs> down. And I screwed that up. I remember me and a guy, real good friend of mine. Tim Thompson, first time we filled up the deuce, we took that sucker down to the gas station at Pope, put Bogas in it, and it's, uh, it's supposed to have diesel. Oh. I had no idea. But evidently, that thing will run on anything. So, Yes, it will. Yeah. Whiskey. We did a lot of up-downs and push-ups and whatnots that day, but uh, 
it didn't tear up the deuce. So anyway, um, basically I'm standing in the in this like job picker guy's office, and he goes, "You got to pick five jobs." And so air traffic control, he goes, "Well, pick four more." I go, "I don't want to do anything else." He goes, "Well, you got to pick four more." I said, "No, no, no." My recruiter said I was going to be an air traffic controller. He goes, "You got to pick four more." So basically, it got into a little. He got basically I got told pick four more jobs. So I was like, okay, I don't even know what to pick. I had no idea. And he goes, well, if you here it flips this white pamphlet on the on the table and said combat control, you make fifty extra bucks a month with jump pay, fifty extra bucks a month with demo, and you get to go through air traffic control school. So I put that as my second choice, and then had some other stuff, medical crap, or I I forgot. I mean, it just didn't really matter. And so. But, you know, you really didn't know what you were going to do. A lot of people knew where they were going. So they had their job and they knew where they were going to tech school. So all I knew was I was going to Keesler, but I did not ever officially have my job listed until I got down to Keesler and they parceled us out to where we had to go. So um, so rolling to Keesler and meet a guy named Jack King, who was a tech sergeant at the time, and, you know, introduced us to what CCT was. And then it was push-ups and pull-ups anytime you go in and out of the building. This is before the pipeline. This is like, this is 87. So April 87 is when I went into basic. So this is like the two or three classes right before they changed the entire training program. So, you know, I didn't even know, you know, to be honest, dude, I had no business doing what I was doing, but I just followed the crowd and <laughs> I was young and I never said I quit. So, so, Anyway, so now I went through the air traffic control school part and then, of course, off to jump school, still not knowing what I'm doing, you know, from Atlanta. So my, my dad came down and watched this jump. Then I went to Pope to CCS and I started figuring it out then. But still, even on the last on that radio day, you know, where you got to put your radios together. I'm sitting there. I've got a radio and I'm like grabbing antennas and I'm like, oh, I hope this is it. Ooh. You know, I was like. I should have been on the blackjack table that day because again, I'm still, I'm still, they're starting to break all that. Uh, you know, don't really care, you know, study, you know, I, I actually had to start putting, putting in some effort and study and it. That's when it's all sort of changing for me and um, in my life. And so that was like the first big switch from just being a goofball or a goober in Georgia to, you know, going hunting and fishing and, that's it. And, you know, nowhere to now I've kind of starting to understand and get some things right. So with their CCS, the, at the end of it, they said, hey, whoever graduates gets to go to Pearl Harbor for dive school. So like everybody's like jumping up on the desk and doing the Hawaii Five-0. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. So we graduated, went straight into pre-scuba for a couple of weeks over there at Fort Bragg. And then um, the whole class loaded up on an airplane and flew to Hawaii. And we went to, we lived on Ford Island. So this is Ford Island before the bridge. So we had to take a ferry across the, the uh, Pearl Harbor and was there for dive school. And that was awesome. So. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, what was, what was dive school in Pearl Harbor like? Because that sounds a lot better than Key West where I went. Well, Key West is fun too, you know. You know, well, yeah, of course. Dive school, no matter what. <laughs> I mean, wherever you go, it's a kick in the balls. I mean, I'm Key West. You know, I never went through it, so I don't know anything about it. So what I've heard, but I know that that's a major nut kick. But uh, I, you know, I mean, it was the Navy ran it, and, and they weren't joking around. I mean, the PT was was it wasn't that easy. Um, yeah, we were in good shape, so it wasn't that hard. But they found ways to make it miserable, no matter what. So you know, duck walking across the deck, you know, all the way behind the school over, you know, just, you know, whatever they could come up with. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Well, and, 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 Go ahead. and not, not everybody got uh dive school before going on team back. Then, no, right? I, we were the first team serves. to go as a team. So that was kind of the precursor to before you get to your team where the pipeline was st starting to, you know, where the pipeline is now. And I think they'd already kind of put that plan in motion because now we're talking 1988. So guys that are coming in right now are going to the, to Lackland first, or, you know, they're not coming through like we did. So I think it was, that was kind of why we did that. 
and they had a slot or they just ran a whole school with all those empty slots for us. Um, I turned 21 in Hawaii. That was a lot of fun. You know, the, um, oh, oh boy. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, that was, yeah, you made it out. <laughs> so spent the time in Hawaii and then, um, went to Hurlburt for IFAM because my, I was assigned to the, to Det 1 1723rd, which is Rhine Mind Air, Air Base in Germany. So we had to go through Hurlburt and we learned how to work with Talons. So, you know, Talon 1s with a Fulton recovery at 53s and, ta- and then Talon 2s or refuelers, the HC 130, you know, at the time. So we were doing all that, doing all our work up for, for special operations. And then we went over to Germany and I was there by uh, 1 August 1988 when I basically was on station and started the whole, there, there was no wars. It was just JSET training. And, you know, we had to be the parachute guy. We had to be the dive glocker guy. We had to be the vehicle guy, the FF2 guy. It was, we had no support except for a few, very few, like supply radio, stuff like that. Oh, that had to be a good time in Germany. It was a lot of fun. I mean, that's a lot of fun. Ryan, Ryan mine is uh, Frankfurt. Yeah. If I, uh, yeah, yeah. So we right. were right on the uh, other side of the airport from Frankfurt, the Flughafen. Um, it was a great place to be stationed. And, you know, and I wish, I wish I knew now what I knew, what, and could have do what I did back then again, because I was young and I was all about going out and doing stuff. And, and, you know, not really hanging around with a team, you know, all the time, you know, on Friday nights and stuff. That, and and I think that that, you know, it, it means a lot to to build that cohesive, you know, that family, that unity to stay in, and, and hang out socially with the guys, especially overseas. So I, I would have I'd probably do a little more of that if I was to do that again, um, if I was to go back to you know, have that those days again. But they were great days. I mean, we were jumping in Denmark, jumping in Belgium, got Belgian jump wings, Danish jump wings, Norwegian ones. I mean, it's we're diving in the Alps. We're in Spain. We're in Morocco, Turkey, Scotland, just working with PJs in England. It was nuts until the Desert Shield kicked off. We were always every week. It was something different. A lot of fun. Dude, the, the only thing worse than talking to guard guys is, is talking to people that were around before like 9-11 or on either side of, of Desert Storm when when things were yeah. fun. It was, dude, it's, it was it's, so it's much brutal. Fun. Yeah. J-sets. We leave on Monday, come back on sun, on Friday, do laundry, go out Friday night, Saturday night, come home Sunday, pack. Monday, you're gone again. I mean, it, it was just tons of fun. And um, one of the things – I'm just going to oh, – Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. What? No, I'm just gonna. I said I was. I'm gonna start calling us the uh, the salty generation, the the only GWAT, like us? the whole twenty year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but also, did you ever make it out to Kosovo? I heard uh, I heard good things happen. Yeah, there. yeah. That uh, made it to Kosovo, but that was after I gotten out and came back in. So, uh, so okay. in my mind time, like I said, it was J set after J set until the Desert Shield, and then we went down to uh, uh, Turkey with a tenth group, uh, you know, Charlie Company. And we staged out of Batman, which is north of the Syrian or uh, Iran border, Iraq border. Sorry, right on, right where that corner is. And so we flew CSAR out of that and did some other things uh, during the whole Desert Shield, Desert Storm. But uh, I mean, it, it, again, it was just great times throughout the whole thing. One of the funny stories of that was we had this thing called the Fulton Recovery System, which you guys are aware of, and they had um, we would have to go and set it up. Like it, so they would you would open up the container, inflate the balloon, send it up, and it was like a blimp. I mean, like a Goodyear-looking blimp thing with with a tail and all that, so we could kind of hang in the wind. And then you hooked up, typically a, a person, but they weren't doing it with live people at the time. So it was this mannequin called Fritz, and I guess his name was Fritz because he was from from Germany. So we would go to this base this Canadian base in Southern Germany toward the black forest called LAR air base and set up the Fulton there. And, and that aircraft would come in and hit the, 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 the line and pull up that old Fritz. And then one time the, you know, or not, not just once, but it happened routinely, but one of the times the, the <laughs> line broke and Fritz flew all the way to the other end of the airfield oh, and landed oh in the grass. So, 
we were filming it, and I wish I had a copy. <laughs> Poor of guy. Because we were filming it. So we went over there and laid like Fritz did, you know, and moved him out of the way and then got up and, and kind of dusted ourselves off. So it looked like a dude got flung in the air, let's do a slingshot all the way down a mile that way down the other side of the earth. So anyway, it's kind of funny, you know, I guess you got to be there type of thing, but it's not, it was a lot of shenanigans back then. It looked a good time. I guess now we know why they weren't doing it with live people. Yeah. I guess, I guess we got at least yeah, that right. Yeah, that was, that would have sucked. Yeah. So, um, so after desert shield, there's a storm. We went back to Germany, um, stop loss. It had been going on. So they wouldn't allow you to get out of the military in certain career fields and ours was one of them. So I stayed in for a few extra months. And then, um, and then finally we were, when well, we were back down in uh, Turkey again for provide comfort and they came out and said, Hey, stop loss is over. What are you going to do? You can reenlist, you can get $60,000 bonus or you can get out. And I'd been accepted to Emory Riddle to go to uh, flight school. Cause I'd started taking classes for you know, college and, and while I was active duty using tuition assistance and which is the best thing in the world in the Air Force. It's a scholarship. So anybody thinking about going in and you're that's it's huge because that's how I got my degree. I didn't pay a dime except for books. And then my daughter used my GI Bill. So that's insane. So it's a great deal. So anyway, I was going to go to Emory Riddle, got out two years. Uh, I said, I'm not staying in. I had the, it was a bad time to ask me because I had the runs from eating turkey food and it was bad and, I was just, you know, miserable. So I was like, I'm out. So I got out, went back to Atlanta. Um, You know, I stayed in Europe for a little while. Had a little, had a friend that I was kind of hanging out with up from uh, Sweden. So did that for a bit. Then, um, you know, just not being friends and all. But uh, ended up in in, back in the states and going back to school and actually doing well in school. You know. I wanted to get to where I was making all A's. I was doing that. And I wanted to transfer into a bigger school, a four-year, like, big major college. So I was looking at going to Georgia Tech, and I had applied, and everything was on – I was on track to be able to go there for my my third and fourth year. Um, but Somalia had kicked off, and every time a guy would come back from Germany, they'd fly into Atlanta. And back then, there wasn't the TSA issue, so I'd go to the airport. I'd meet him at the gate. We'd go to the bar, have a beer or two, talk about, you know, what's happening now, old times. And finally, there's a chief named Doc Strange, who was our chief in Germany, and he flew back through. And he's like, hey, do you want to come back in? And I said, yeah, I miss it. And one of the reasons I wanted to come back in, which I put on a, as a different podcast I was on, I talked about, was I learned to play music and gu- guitar, and I wanted to play guitar in Europe. So I know that's not the the one's ready answer of why you want to do what we're doing. <laughs> there well, is no one's, one's ready, ready answer. answer. Eat, eat nail, <laughs> spit barbed wire, and, you know, you know, be in shape all the time. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah. 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 I was a dough boy, you know, so, so anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> you um, said yeah, it, not look, me. Look, if you can, right? if you can roast others, you gotta be able to take it and roast yourself. So, so, that's right. right. So then I, you know, they said I could come back in and I was like, you know, I miss it. Um, I wanted to go over Europe and play music. And so I entertained the idea and I went and talked to the recruiter. But while I was out, I did some things I shouldn't have done. I got rolled up um, for, uh, you know, drinking and driving, which back in 91, of course, it, I didn't have an accident or anything, but still it's a bad thing. And I got, you know, it's, it's ne- never good and made a big mistake, you know, doing that. And then, of course, I, you know, I thought I was full of piss and vinegar and could fight anybody out there. And, and when, you know, you, when you go out and you scrap in public and you and win or lose, if, if the law gets involved, you're going to, you know, you got to answer for that. So I had a couple of things I'd answer to. And I went to see the recruiter and they kept kicking me out like, no, you got you got this since you got out. Beat it. So the chief would have to call. So I'd show back up and they go, anything else you need to tell us about? I go, yeah, well, there's another, you know, beat it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so finally I got called back in and he had his boss in there from uh, the whole area recruiter in Atlanta. And he was a master sergeant and he proceeded to basically get in my ass and I'm sitting there with a beard and everything. I'm like, I'm not back in yet, you know? So, but I was respectful. Nice. You know, we finished up, came back in. I went to Hurlburt. Um, that was the closest base from Atlanta 
I don't know how it got picked because Doc was an, uh, a conventional guy at the time because he had come back from special ops. And back then it was conventional and special uh, soft CCT. So I thought I'd be going to Little Rock or Charleston or somewhere else and then ended up down at Hurlburt, which was worked out well. And uh, I had to go back through the process. And that's when it all started again for, for me, you know, at Hurlburt at the 2-3. So I got there in 90, in January 93. So January 93. Okay. And you missed the Somalia. I missed the Somalia push, the original one. We, we worked with um, SF group up in Kentucky to go and uh, do the participate in the exfil, but it it never went, but we actually went up and with the isolation, all that stuff. And then it it got, it got kind of throttled back. You know, we didn't end up deploying or, or everybody didn't go. So yeah, I missed that. Um, but although it was cool to train on it, got to, you know, that's the first time I got exposed to little birds and daps and, you know, then it routinely started working with those guys. And that was just a whole different, I mean, how cool is that? You know, riding on the outside of a helicopter, that little it's bitty still thing. Cool now. I mean, you're like, get your helicopter out of the way. I mean, it's so little, you know, so cute, <laughs> but it, a lot of fun uh, doing that up at uh, Fort Campbell and, you know, just being stationed with a lot of really good dudes at the two three, and, and going back through IFAM, and and you know, just getting back in the swing of things. We got to go to um, went back over to provide comfort a couple times from there, and then went to um, Cuba for the Haiti um, Haiti uh, upright. The I guess there was a, a coup going on at the time. It wasn't one of the earthquakes. It was uh, they were trying to take over. So we we went down to stage Cesar out of uh, out of Guantanamo Bay. So it was, um, you know, that was a lot of fun. There was some dudes out on the battleship, or not a battleship, but an aircraft carrier, and then us, you know, at, at, at Gitmo, which was a lot of fun flying that. You know, now flying from there to Hurlbert with a duck, a T-duck hanging out the side of the door in a dry suit for 14 hours in a 60 is not fun. But, you know, peeing in a piddle pack. It's a long flight. Long flight. Long flight. Yeah. Jeez. 14 hours in a dry suit. With a boat hanging out the door, yeah. doing self SAR, C SAR. So, but good team. Ken Knutson, pararescueman, was the team leader. Great dude. I'd follow that guy anywhere. And, you know, so so really some good dudes that were there. You know, at the two three, that a uh, lot of lot of experience, a lot of way they shared it and and sh- and, and trained up the guys that ha- hadn't had any experience at the time. Because back then, not a lot of guys hadn't combat experience you know desert still desert shield desert storm was just finishing up there were some dudes that got some stuff but not like today where dudes are just all you know combat hardened yeah what was that that was operation yeah, yeah. democracy yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so so spent two years at two three um and then did what I told you there. And then I went, then I got, a, a, I was, cause right when I got to Hurlburt getting back in, I put my name in for extended long overseas to England and Germany. Cause back then there was a Ramstein team and a Mildenhall team. So I put my name in for both. Um, in two years on the dot, I was, I was gone and I had orders of Mildenhall. So that was a cool piece of, you know, cool thing to happen. So right before I went to Mildenhall, I met my wife, Jackie, um, over at Navarre Beach at the Holiday Inn, which is no longer there, got wiped out by a hurricane. And um, we dated. I mean, not law. I mean, you'd, if you're a betting man, you'd bet against this, and you were lost, evidently. But uh, uh, we dated for five months, roughly, because I was TDY a lot, doing some other JRXs and other TDYs while I was up until I PCSed. And then I PCSed in March, in the middle end of March. And was over there. And then finally I'm like, you know what? I, I think I found the right one. So I called her from a pay phone at Milnaw and asked her to marry me. She said, yeah, went back in May and got married. So five months we were married and we're now it's 27. Whew, two of them happy. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, seven, seven, two kids later. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think she's regretting it, but uh, I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> and again, nobody would have bet that this would have worked. And I've tried. I've tried real hard to get this thing to end. I mean, life ain't over yet. So, <laughs> try to call it off. Yeah. Oh, man. I could go into that. 
But sorry, Jackie, out. love you. Anyway, yeah, she's the one who probably should have talked. You're gonna play your guitar in Europe? I did, I did. I um, so I, I, Milton Hall. I got to play uh, in the pubs all around Milton Hall, and then I was uh, asked to come back to Germany twice on New Year's Eve to play Irish pubs over. You know, so we'd go down and we'd ski or something and hang out and get paid to play the pubs. You know, two or three nights. Um, and then I started playing rugby over in England, and I would play in the pubs right after the rugby matches, which was a lot of fun because uh, you take, you know, our rugby team and the, and the opposing rugby team into a bar and the place goes crazy. Everybody's drinking, having a good time. And um, so that was, that was a lot of fun playing music in England. Cause you got a hundred quid, which is about $160, hundred quid a night for two hours. And then you got to drink for free. Cause I was, that was my going rate. Cause, and the pubs closed at 11. Now I think they they stay open later. I think, but back then, eleven o'clock, streets rolled up. So unless you were at like a uh, a nightclub, if you will, so that was a lot of fun. Um, scored my first try and had to drink a beer out of a dirty old muddy boot uh, right on stage. That was a must, you know, <laughs> drinking beer with a club of mud in it. But uh, really good time at Milnaw. So then, so from Milnaw, um, I. And, and I started my JTAC training back in at, at the two three. And back then there wasn't a the MQT process. We had a certain amount of days. You went through um, JFCC at the time, and then you just continued your training until you got evaluated. We didn't have time limits like we do now. And so I started the process at two three, and I got my evaluation. Actually, got evaled at Nellis. So my first evaluation was done at the seventies ranges at Nellis. And that was in 96, 90, yeah, 96. So November 96. So um, after that, I progressed through the instructor, um, you know, the instructor process pretty quick. And then I got to, you know, we were doing San Vito a lot for CSAR at the time. But once you got your JTAC rating, San Vito was pretty much a wrap. You started going to Bosnia. So I went um I went into Bosnia to Uglovic and worked with the Russian Spetsnaz for four months. I was attached to 10th group out of Fort Carson at the time. That was a blast. I mean, I'm sitting here in my office looking across right now at one of my, at my, at a, one of my uh, cabinets. And I've got a Russian Afghanistan war beret that this guy named Vladimir gave me, who was their, their, their chief enlisted guy or warrant officer. Him and I hit it off real well, but he couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Russian, but he could play guitar and drink vodka and I could play guitar and drink vodka. So we ended up hitting it off pretty well. And their vehicles, I mean, they were BTR 80s. They were just, I mean, it was tight. I mean, you had, you know, they, they were really not that big of dudes. They're skinnier than us a little bit. They're, you know, really we could out do, we could outperform them in every aspect of the job except for fighting. They would fight and like hand to hand fight at PT and blood, like head button bricks and stuff. It was really, it was intimidating and cool to see. So I think it might've had a purpose, but, but shoot and move, communicate. They couldn't hold a candle. I mean, even the air force guy was winning some of that stuff. So got to do some really cool stuff with the Navy there. Got to go to these places called the JCO houses which was a joint commissioned observer. So there were these houses in these little towns around Bosnia who would integrate with the local populace trying to convey, you know, the U.S.'s message and that, you know, what we're here to do and then help help bring in the factions to talk together and, and mediate meetings and stuff. And a few times things got hot. So like the JCO house at Birchco got overran when Birchco got sacked by, uh, you know, by a, a bunch of dudes, you know, a bunch of rebels up there. And so we got, we had to respond to that. AC-130 was flying and there's some other things we had, we had to protect uh, radio antennas for their election broadcast because uh, they wanted to make sure it was fair that both sides got to say their message. Even though we kind of backed one, we didn't say only the one we're backing gets to say their message. We just made sure that, that everybody got to say their message and mainly ours because they were this other the other, uh, the opposing faction was trying to take down all the radio towers so they couldn't get their message out. So we had to protect those. So it was pretty cool. We found some mass graves. That was odd. Um, but 
overall, it was a really, really cool experience working with the Russian Spetsnaz. Uh, it's just, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying it out loud. That I, I mean, now. I was going to say, that's it's just yeah. so weird to hear. Like, oh, yeah, I was attached as, as an yeah. Air Force guy. I was attached yeah, to the yeah. Spetsnaz. I like, fought. Yeah, yeah. Times have changed. And the guy I fought was <laughs> Jeff Gilmain. And I'm going to tell you now, you do not want to follow Jeff Gilmain on anything. No. <laughs> Yo, out. And here comes me like, hello, child oh, yeah. where? You know, so <laughs> that was, uh, that took a minute, but, you know, got to prove myself and, you know, had a good rotation there. So, um, and then I, unless you got something to ask about that, I'll continue on. We're good. Continue with that. Well, I mean, didn't, didn't not you get that, in a firefight or something not like that? that mission. No. Oh, not so that. So then way. I started, okay. after that, I started pulling, pulling. I actually even before I put, we had this rotation in Stuttgart for the SIF, so the Charlie Company rotation, and I was one of the first CCTs to go there. And that was a lot of fun because you're there by yourself. You lived in a dorm. You didn't have a vehicle. You, you basically just trained. You you lived across the street from C Company. You showed up. You trained. You shot. You moved. Communicated. You brought what you could bring to the fight, and you integrated with your team. You you didn't have any way to go anywhere else to screw around or get lost or get in trouble or get a, you know, DUI, if you will, or whatever. I mean, cause you get out of a vehicle. So you're just, you know, you were just there. I mean, it was, you know, it was a really cool experience that working with, with C company, I got to do a really, a lot of, a lot of neat things and and got to do some work up for some stuff. Cause I did that rotation three times and we spun up a couple of times. We actually went to Gabon for a, uh, a Neo, which is to get all the um, non-combatants out of, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, which that was a really cool event. Um, so funny story about that was we flew, I flew in with the SF and of course the SOG for Mildenhall flew in. So they land, they're all in the hotels and I'm talking, I'm not talking holiday. Inn. I'm talking the Mercin, you know, the, the nice, nice five-star hotels with casinos and stuff. So that's where they're at. But we're with the army we're laying in a, in, a, in a hangar with a bunch of stuff crawling along the ground. And that's an angry ground over in Africa. So I laid back and in my little roll, my little roll. And I look up at it. I'm just staring at an ISU, just staring at it. And I'm like, all of a sudden it dawned on me. I see the 321st uh, sticker. I'm like, hmm, that's for my unit. So I go up there and do the normal combo. Bing, it opens up. I open that sucker up full of cots i'm like we got cots boys so <laughs> we took all the cots yeah all the mres it, you know probably shouldn't have done that but they didn't you know luckily they didn't need it but we all used it we, we were using it because we were we were stuck eventually we ended up going down to a hotel but it was it took a while before we got to that process it was kind of toward the end of the rotation but um but anyways this this the charlie company gig was a blast and i think they're still doing it today um and, and it's more robust now with more guys and pararescue men and and you know they put the whole team down there and it, it i'm glad they're doing it because it's a great way to integrate so because you had you had charlie company well you had you know you had alpha bravo charlie company of, of of the first battalion over there but we dealt with charlie company and then you had the navy who was on the other side of uh, panzer and they we're doing some stuff in, of course, in the Bozzi and whatnot. So when I got attached to them, we went into Sarajevo. So I was, I, I replaced um, Kirby Rodriguez, I think, at the time in Sarajevo or Vin Anderson, one of the two. But uh, it, good Either dudes. Way, I mean, once again, dude. I mean, you're like, oh, <laughs> what? We got the, we drafted first, not last. And, you know, and I'm like, All right, well, you know. So um, pl- living there at the, at this, uh, at this hotel right there in this compound in Sarajevo, uh, got to go downtown quite a bit and, and do some stuff and a lot of fun with the Navy. So basically what happened on the firefight is there was, you know, now we're at Allied Force and Kosovo is a big deal and Serbia, or, um, not Serbia, uh, yeah, so, uh, up near, um, I can't think of it right now, Milosevic was the guy we were going after and everything. So anyway, there were some, there were some, um, yeah, Serbia. There were some trains that were taking chemical weapons and troops down to Kosovo. 
So they said, you got to go stop that train. And they asked, you know, they asked around, say, hey, so one entity needed a 72-hour planning process. And we're like, well, by that time, the train's going to be there. So the Navy said, we'll go now. So we loaded up and went. And we, so we're driving across and, and we got maps folded out. We have to look, we had to go link up with these Italian dudes and these German dudes. We're going to be the QRF. And this is overnight. We're supposed to do this at night. And our, so our plan was to, to blow the railroad tracks at night and put chem lights up to stop the train. I don't think chem lights would have stopped the train, but I, I just was like, whatever. You know, I was just listening to this. I'm like, okay. Just yeah. out there waving. Yeah. No. So, Sure, so yeah. we go up over the, I mean, we're talking up to the top of these mountains and stuff. And we're coming down into, uh, into toward where Serbia is, Bosnia, Serbia, kind of there, where the border is. And we met with the Italians and they were going to be part of our QRF. And then they said, we're not going. So they bailed. So then we went, we took the Germans and the Germans like, yeah, we'll go. So they had their version of the BTR, you know, uh, vehicles. And but they they had a hospital. I mean, theirs were a little cleaner looking and, and more more robust. So we we're in the Humber. We're in basically slick Humvees, no gun trucks, no omnidirectional satcom antenna, none of that. We're just driving with you know you got your uh, you got your turret lid on top. So we go we come down the mountain. Behind us, you can see these BTR you know vehicles coming down the mountain. So like something's going on. So here we are. We run out of gas. Or right at we're out of fuel. We're bingo fuel at the border, so we stop at a gas station, and the ensigns out there. We're filling up all the all the vehicles. You know, well, actually, you can't even fill them up. They fill them up for you because they got the little jumpers on, and the ensigns in there paying cash. And he's like, "Yo, what's up?" Guys are ordering cokes and snacks. We throw them in the truck. We cross the border. It's daylight, and uh, the team leader said, "Hey." don't call back and report our position because it's daylight. And I'm like, just, you know, don't make any comments. They call you, you can respond, but don't call. Cause he was afraid. And like everybody else was, we'd gone all this way. We didn't want to get, you know, called off because of date, because of light it's supposed to happen at night. Yeah. So we, we're driving through these mountains. We're not even on roads now because we're trying to hurry to get there. And we pull up and there's a house. Um, and we're right to a river. It's, I mean, the most beautiful country you've ever seen. I mean, it's 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 like the mountains of Colorado, and it's like a mix between the east and west coast mountains in the states. So there was a a family in the house, and there was a young guy, fighting age male, that took off up the hill because we were on a slope, the track. So you, the mountain was up top, then the train, and then there's more more slope, and then the house, and then more slope, and then there's another road with a river. So I was in the last vehicle, but since we went in, now I'm in the, in the first vehicle on the way out because we had to do the, you know, combat park and turn around. So uh, I stayed down with the vehicles, was on comms for close air support and, and long range comms. And then there was a seal that was down there with us as well. And then another dude who's another seal who's on sniper rifle. And then everybody else is up there blowing, you know, laying demo on the tracks. And when they went up there, a gunfight started. So it was a big, you know, grenades going this and that. It was pretty cool to be a part of that. And then, you know, so, you know, we were like, holy, I, I remember distinctly when everything started going and you could, because the guns, were, they were shooting down the track and shooting over our heads and you could hear the snap. And I looked over at the, at the ceiling and he goes, they're shooting at us. I mean, it was like, we couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, I can't believe it. And, and it's not that, it's just because we went a lot of experience, you know, like today it's, it's a normal thing. But back then it wasn't. It wasn't norm. It wasn't the norm. So yeah. we couldn't believe it. I'm like, those, they don't know what they just did. And so we killed some dudes. And then uh, the uh, SEAL had, had also had a comm job where he was going to talk to, he was going to do long range comm and I was going to do closure and support. So when the gunfight started, he yanked his SATCOM antenna off the vehicle and threw it in the truck. When he did, he, he pulled the coax cable out. So I had, I connected my SATCOM and started relaying back. Hey, we're taking fire. We need it. Landslide was the term we had to use and we need air. So they tried to send some Apaches over the mountains and the, the mountains were 10,000 feet. The clouds were 2000. That wasn't going to work. So we had some fighters that flew circles around and there was a guy named Donnie Nickel and Mike West who were, were also at that Siege of Soda hotel where we stayed. They were part of Siege of Soda staff and they were, they went over to the ASOC and 
they're pointing at aircraft, trying to send aircraft over to, to me. And anyway, so we mitigated the threat and then we start driving out. And while we're driving out, the, the ordinance, you know, the, the, the explosions are going off and then every, and all the rocks and crap are falling all over the place. So I was on top of the of the Hummer trying to still make comms because I needed to continue to relay information. So I, I'm up, I'm, I pop the lid. I'm up there with a with a little wrist compass, holding holding it at 240 at 45. I remember that angle and dangle, and and I'm sitting there. I key up and I'm you know it's burning me because that there's an RF burn. You know, it's like I'm I'm getting like this little shocky burn. But I'm sitting there holding it and you know making this making the comms and and we went down to the road and we turned left and it said, um, it said Beograd left and it like uh, Tuzla or whatever to the right. And our guys took a left. I go that Beograd means Belgrade. So we had to turn around and that was like an Austin Powers turnaround because we were on a road that was this <laughs> narrow with rivers. We had a mountain and a river. So it, beep, 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 beep. We had all this nonsense. So finally, now we're back at the last vehicle again, and we're driving, and I find, and, and then CJ Soda gets on and says, hey, did you take pictures of the railroad being destroyed? No, because we were in a gunfight. Well, he goes, go back and get pictures. And we're like, hold tight. So I had to get the SEAL team leader come back, and he's like, he, I hand the mic to him, and I hear him go, go back? Like, I already knew that was happening. I'm like, this is not going to be fun. So we got the Germans to come down and actually pull up into that house with us with their 20 millimeter cannon pointing up the hill. And the guys went back up there and took pictures of it. And then they found some explosive didn't go off. So they took the, they took TNT from the Germans and went up there and, and blew it again. Although what they blew would have worked, but they had, they went ahead and blew it again. And I guess there's a certain amount of track that you've got to knock off one set, one, one half of the track and, you know, that same instance, like, hey, you need to knock off 17.3 feet. I'm like, how does this guy know that stuff? I mean, you know, that's their job. So so that was a pretty cool deal. When we drove back to Sarajevo, the roads were cleared for us the whole way back. That people with artillery and other uh, security from other uh, NATO forces that were guarding the roads all the way back for us because there were people that were after us, supposedly, you know, but. Who knows? But we, it was cool to be. We weren't escorted back, but we were. The road was cleared for us. You know, kind of like smoking a bandit. Yeah. So, getting max out that speed on that yeah. Humvee, which is super fast, dude. It took forever. By the time we got back, it was dark. <laughs> so we, it, we did do. We went through an entire day process. So that was kind of cool. But um, you know, Millhall was good. I mean, left there in two thousand. You know, got to do that. Like I said, that was probably the highlight. Um, you know, the the Charlie Company stuff was awesome. You know, and then of course doing other training around and other rotations, and the, and the team over there was 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 incredible. I met uh, my son's godfather over there, one of my best friends, which is a logistics dude named Jeff Shingle. He's uh, been in ST since you know 90, 93, 94 and still is today. Um, you know, played rugby over there with him. So yeah, it was just a really overseas is really cool. It's a family oriented um, kind of a community, you know, it's neat. So that's, that's up until Mildenhall. Oh yeah. So keep going. <laughs> Get to the well, I mean, part. I, like to, 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 to cage yeah. you a little bit. Right. Because I mean, I know Trent's never met you, but you're one hell of a storyteller, right? Like you hold court all the time and, and you really need to be, uh, I don't even know what it would be a professional storyteller or something like that, but, um, skipping those, um, I guess it would be four years. Like I want to hit the weapons uh, real quick because you were like, what I'm doing today is something that, like initiated with yeah. with you, like so. I want I want to I want to highlight that. I want to I want to hit that because uh, for the folks out there, they definitely don't know the story, and I don't know that I know all the details and in and outs. Yeah. So, so I PCS from Mildenhall to the two two, and 
I was very pleased with that assignment. I, I've never been, you know, well, actually I've been TDY up there one time to a JRX, but uh, to be assigned there, I was ecstatic. I mean, because, you know, it was either Pope or Hurlbert or two, two, and I've already been to Hurlbert. And, and I mean, no, I'd be, I just preferred to go to two, two, you know, I just, that was just what I wanted to do. And I lucked out and got that assignment. So was on a team there for a while. And then, um, I developed that relationship with the Navy from Sarajevo and the, and the LPO became a chief and he ended up being the, uh, the NSW LNO at Hurlburt at the USAF special ops school. So the SOS, the special ops school down at Hurlburt uh, over there near the gym and the um, same road, you know, where billeting is and everything. So he was, he was down there doing that and we stayed in touch and he goes, Hey man, we have these, we have instruction courses. We have uh threat courses like, uh, you know, force protection level one, two, three courses. I'd like to have you down here. We'll pay your way. All you got to do is just get permission from your unit to come and, and we'll fund the whole thing. So I went into my boss, Terry Mackey. I was like, Hey, this is what I'd like to do. He goes, they're paying for it. You got nothing going on. Do it. So I was down here at Hurlburt and that's when September 11th happened. So we're going through D dynamics, international terrorism. And I'm in this, in the in the special ops schools uh, auditorium, and we were just got through listening to the guy who got kidnapped by the FARC in Colombia, and uh, he walks out, and they flip on the on the screen, and they show one of the towers burning, and then we watch the second airplane plane hit it. So at the end, it was like the one of the, the the proctor comes down, he goes, "This is why we're here. This is why we're in this course." I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it because I mean, the whole it just everything changed right then and there and people were going back there's a phone bank where you could call people were calling and and while they're on the phone and i'm trying to call my wife saying hey wake up this is going on um i hear people oh the pentagon just got hit so i mean it was a live happening while i was at dit you know of course it's happening in dc and new york but it's just you could to hear it from somebody that's talking to somebody at the pentagon because there's a lot of uh intel folks there was uh kind of brought it you know, made it a little more, you know, a little different. So, so anyway, we couldn't, we could, the class was pretty much done. If you needed to leave, you could leave, but of course nobody could fly anywhere. So if you drove, you could drive out, but you couldn't fly home. And I had to, I was across the country. So I had to wait till they opened up the uh, airports again. So the, the force protection thing had stopped. So we've just finished the dip piece. So we got to finish that week. And then I flew back to, um, to McCord and I got, I went in to see uh, Colonel Mackey and he's like, Hey, um, you're that you're in the, you know, being in the fire shop, you need to go get every bit of cash you can find because we're going to be doing close air support, you know, as much, you know, everybody's going to need to be JTAC qualified or, or actually at that time, it wasn't even JTAC because that came along in 2003 for the first JTAC MOA. So back then it was TAC or SOTAC actually even used the term, not the course, but the, just the, as mm -hmm. a dude. So I had been, tr you know, we had been going to Gila Ben a lot already and had a good relationship at Gila Bend um, with the F-16s there. But I had trained at Nellis. You know, remember, I got my check ride in 96. And and I'd been actually going to Nellis a lot, you know, 96, 97. I somehow was on a trip every year. And it was at the CT after the, after the December class. It was that CT week is when we were doing all this. So I'm like, I want to go down there and see if I can sort out some training. So me and a dude named Paul Goebel, got in the vehicle and drove and, and Mackie was like, I don't want you driving because if I need you back, you need to be back immediately. And I'm like, sir, we're going to take weapons, all the gear. We need to, we need to have everything, you know, compartmentalized and flying with all that's a pain in the ass. So, you know, convinced him to let us drive. So we loaded up everything in a, in a, in a blue six pack and drove. We stopped in um, Reno on the way in. And then we went to Vegas and I went to the weapons school to and I put on a uniform for this. I went in and I went to the ATNs because that's where I'd done some training before. And I walked into the trough and it was empty, lights out. I was like, well, that sucks. So got back in the vehicle. I wrote a note on the DO's desk. So so if you walk in the trough, the DO is to the right. I know they kind of not know the commanders to the left now, but there was a point where they were swapped because they would usually a DO would become the commander and he just didn't change officers. So anyway, I went in to the right and wrote a note on the desk saying, hey. Uh, Phil Freeman, uh, Staff Sergeant 
from the 2-2 SDS was come stop by to try to see if we could do some setups and training with you because our guys are getting ready to go forward. And left that on the desk. So I'm driving out the gate. I changed clothes because we still got to go to Arizona. And we stopped at In-N-Out Burger. I think that's what we did. Stopped in a burger. I got an In-N-Out Burger shirt. We ate mustard on it, whatever, you know. And so I'm, we're getting ready to leave town. And I get a phone call on the cell phone saying, hey, this is uh, Major Malakowski at the, at the uh, 66 or, you know, the A-10 uh, wick. You know, you left a note on my desk. You got five minutes. Get back here now. So I'm like, oh, shit. So, oops. So I said, oh, crap. So I turned around. And went back, and I didn't have time to put on the uniform. So I go bebopping in there, and just I lay my case out. I'm like, hey, I think we're some of the better JTACs out there, or, you know, tax. I think we want to train with the best. You guys are the best CAS unit, CAS platform. And I want I want to try to make the synergy work. And, uh, you know, and it, you know, we had trained there before. And I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know when they'd be able to do it or any of that. And um, – so Malakowski looks at me, his M10's his call sign. The M10 looks at me, he goes, who's your commander? What unit are you at? I'm like, oh, man. I'm standing there, civilian clothes. I I'm like, oh, up. man, this ain't going to go well. So I call ops, you know, from his phone. And I'm like, hey, what's – because I didn't know the commander's number. He wanted the commander's number. And I'm like, I didn't know. So I'm like, hey, man, I need Colonel Mackey's number because I'm at the weapon school and I got a, a guy that wants to talk to him about – us training. So they're like, what'd you do? And I'm like, just give me the number. So give me the number. And I, I, I give it to him and I dial it up and say, Hey, Colonel Mackey, there's a guy that needs to talk to you. I'm at the weapon school trying to set her training. And you know, I hear you go. I'm just waiting. Well, those two dudes played at the, at the air force Academy together while Mackey was a linebacker M10 was a defensive end and they were, they were tight. I mean, they were like brothers. So, you know, it was a really, it was funny. I mean, I was sweating. And they're like, you know, he's like, hey, we're going to take care of you. We'll get, you know, back then I wasn't pimp yet. So we'll get you, get filled down here and get your team. We'll get you trained up. We'll do it between the classes. So it's CT. We can, we can meet your needs. And, you know, so that's what we did. We set that up for December and we, and, and that was the first, you know, real trip that initiated besides the other ones that we were just in and out when we were, you know, that was the first real, you know, after that training, I'm like, you know what? We want to stay here. We want to do this more, you know? So before I left, I'm like, hey, we're deploying. But if we're back by June, I want to do this again in June and bring more guys down. Because we're talking, we didn't have a lot of JTACs in the 2-2, you know? So we're still training them up. I mean, before we left, we trained Gabe Brown. We trained, um, like, Bruce Hurst was a part of it, Ray Bollinger. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are icons in the JCAT community now who were just now, you know, getting getting their uh, whole JTAC uh, career going, you know. So it was kind of cool to see. So we went overseas and came back, and then we're doing that that June trip. And uh, that's when we, like, trained. We trained Drake Chandler, Chris Grove. I mean, all these names that, that, you, that are, you know, your peers and are even maybe even a little bit above, you know, dating ourselves. So – Got these guys trained up. We actually did some more full mission stuff. We were moving around. We were trying to, you know, push the limits a little bit on training. So then the trough called me up in August because we were going to come back and do, we were going to support the weapon school task phase in August on our own dime. We had money. So we're like, okay, we'll spend, we'll come down on our own dime. We don't know. We just want to be part of it. So they were like, okay. So August, they call me and they say, hey, man, can you support all of the ranges and all the OPs? I'm like, why? What happened? What do you mean? He goes, well, the ASOS just fell out. We don't have any support. So I'm like, absolutely. So I went to Mackey, made sure. Yep. So we filled every OP at every spot for the, for a whole, you know, cast phase was a month. So we did that, did a d- decent job, continued to learn. And after that, it just was, a that was the beginning. It, it, it's kind of funny how an ASOS falls out. We take over and we never left. You know, I mean, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Like a tick. When, matter of fact, the day I went in there and got called back in with the in and out deal, the SEALs were there and they were training there quite a bit. But once we started training there, it kind of dwindled a little bit. You know, we started bringing them back in with Tad Morrison was their uh, lead guy. So, um, so yeah, we started training there at the trough. And so from 2001 to 2003, 
we were trending at Nellis every chance we could from the 2-2. So while I had deployed back to Afghanistan and to Iraq, and while I was there, I got orders to PCS to the group. So I was going to be the fires guy at the group with Matt Schleich, who was uh, back then he was attack P, who's now you know retired senior. So Mia, so I PCS to the group. Mike Martin pulled me down there because he saw what we were doing at Nellis. He thought it was a good thing, so he pulled me down to the group. I don't know how he, he was a captain at the time, you know, but worked it out to where I was. I came down there to run the fire shop. So while I was down there, we were going to Nellis probably eight months a year, spending. God knows how much money on flights and, and excess baggage and all the crap we were doing. And, and within, we, but we also started bringing in the other units because the two, two couldn't do it all, you know, and I'd left, I'm now with the group. I've got a bigger, you know, enterprise to look after. So we started bringing everybody out there and, and then 2006 or 2005, it started. They're like, Hey, well, we need to put a, an, an OLB out there. So just a, 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 a you know, a debt, if you will. So they started doing all the passcodes and positions and they came up with the OLB and they basically uh, actually Colonel Brown at the time, CQ Brown, the chief of staff was uh, one of the commandants mm-hmm. there when all this happened. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, there was a few, you know, a few burbles, a few bumps to the road as we went through the process because guys getting still gotten in trouble. So all the crap that went wrong, Compared to all the crap that went right, I would have to say more went right than wrong because now we got a wick and we got Peaches as the chief up there running things. So, you know, that's pretty funny. Just thinking about all the uh, all the things that went, all the little bumps in the road, Dude. if you will. Everything that Vegas has to offer. <laughs> I mean, we got guys in the Who Scout in casinos. We got them at the Who Scout down in downtown. We got guys putting cars in the wall down on I-15. I mean, we got guys taking out stop signs. I mean, it was a mess. But we also trained our ass off and got guys really good, and they cared. Because back what I was saying earlier about the Ryan Mine thing, remember, I get done with work. Boo, I'm downtown. But now at Nellis, I get done with work. I'm staying because I want to make myself better at CAS and the and, – and, Talking tactics over a Jack and Diet and some spicy popcorn, jalapeno popcorn. It, it really just you start absorbing it like a sponge. And so I that was what I did every every Friday night. I stayed on base and, and hung out with uh, with the pilots. And, and you know, and then it, it, it filtered out to the, all the other MDSs. Now we're hanging out with the Vipers and Strike Eagles. And then the MQ, uh, the, the RPAs came on board with a new wick and it just permeated out throughout matter of fact we f-15c cast and took their pilots to the range and they got to shoot move communicate with us and see what we do and we weren't raptor cat i mean all kind of neat stuff so that all kind of that's how we basically showed our worth showed our showed that we care showed that we we're here for not only for us but for them and that's how that all started but um but dirt before all that process we'll get to the pimp real quick so <laughs> We're yeah, gonna close yeah. with so 2003, roughly four. I think five, I forget whatever four. Go to the NASCAR race because uh, the honorary commander of the A10 squadron is Mister Mister G Michael Gaughan was at South Point, so that is sweet at the NASCAR race. And his son Brendan, one of uh, me and Peach's very good friends, um, was racing and doing stuff. So we're up at the suite having a good old time, and we had tailgated before going in, and of course we kept on pushing it up during the race. So now we are, the race is over and we're down on the strip and continuing to go. And I've overserved myself, I guess, or, you know, somehow got overserved and I went to the restroom and I'm taking a leak and I hiccup or something and my hand slipped off my pants and it, they, my underwear jumped back up on me, on, on me. And while I was mid stream and I just put my hand on the wall and just said, uh, this is a miserable day. Finished peeing, came out, in my pants. told the guys, hey, I got to go. It's like, now it's like 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock, which is early. I'm like, I got to go. They're like, what are you leaving for? I got, I just got to go. So I go, I'm in a 49 head when going through the New York, New York casino. I didn't know the wind would blow that hard in there. <laughs> so I get to the taxi line and a van pulls up and they open the door and they put me in the van and he goes out. And when you leave, when you take a cab and you go back on 215 or you're going South Vegas, you do a loop like a 180. 
So when that dude did that 180 in the New York uh, parking lot street drive, I flipped down and my head was down in between where the door is. That van, you know, had the little steps up. My head's down there. My legs are in the air. I got pee coming out of my shoe, rolling down. I'm like this. I just, I don't belong anywhere in public right now. So <laughs> I was, you know, I was a hot mess. So I go home, which I'll stay at Lake Las Vegas. So that's a long drive on your head. But that's where I was. You know, the, and the dude was trying to like help me up. I'm just like, just drive, just go. Don't don't even help me. Don't even help just me. Go, man. Man. Just go, man. Just go. Let me. Yeah. Let me die. So, so then I go to the trough, and I made a mistake by telling somebody about the story. The guy I told was Soup Campbell. So, they started to do. They were like, "You're here enough. We're gonna name you." Because typically they'll give guys a naming call sign naming, and it's typically a big deal, you know, a naming night or whatnot, and. I didn't, you know, unless you have a weird name or do really something weird in CCT or funny, you're not going to get a name unless that happens. But in, in, in the fighter community, everybody gets a name. But if you screw up, that's going to be something around your name. So they have a whiteboard and they write it all down and, and you could drink, you could drink the name off, but somebody else could drink it back on. And the top one was Butterbean. And I'm like, I'm not being called Butterbean. So I'm just slamming 30 mic mic shells of Jack to get Butterbean off. And then Smooth and other people are drinking them and putting it back on. And then I'm drinking and putting it back off. And so it got down to Butterbean was a, we were fighting back and forth with Butterbean and all the other names had gotten lined out, which I don't even remember what they were. And then finally Soup rolls in and goes, I got it. It's Pimp. And everybody's like, Pimp, pissed in my pants. Because he pissed his pants at the New York, New York a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, God, I told you that. So, and I couldn't drink any more off. And I'm like, is that, and then and it went around the room. And, and of course, there was another flying squadron in that was uh, in there for support. So that place was packed and there, you know, woo. Yeah. Oh. I had a, that big garbage <laughs> can that's on wheels was right next to me. It, I filled that thing up. And yeah. it got I was sober up. by the time I left because everything came out. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that ended up, you know, got that was the call sign thing. So PCS and Ellis started the discussions with all the uh, Air Warfare Center commander and the commandant and the ST. And and we just, you know, and the TACP community was in on it. There's um, uh, Troy Lundquist was in on it. There's a guy named Chaz Erickson that was in on it. Uh, Match Like was a big piece of it. So it was really cool to see CCT and TACP come together in unity, try to push to push forward to have a, a wick. And we got shot down by everybody. You'll never get a wick. We had ACC old goobers, you know, that were dudes that just need to go away. You know, they aren't doing anything good. You know, you'll never get a wick. You know, you know, so pretty sure there are people that are yeah, saying well, that about I, me <laughs> i hope they hear what i'm saying but the good thing is, is we 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 were like look we don't care about your patch we just want the education that's all we want because we don't we can't touch a patch like enlisted dudes can reach and touch their patch if they're in an mbs more likely we can't and we wanted the education we we showed that we needed it because we had to apply air power it's not just calling in you know cleared hots it's it's Applying air power and planning the whole thing from start to finish is a big deal. So finally, after no's and yeses, and we had LD Card, which is a comp, was the ATN commander that helped fight for it. And then um, after LD left, um, Johnny Bravo Drowley was there. He helped fight for it. And so it got to a point where Peaches, Brian Patton, uh, Dave Dilbickle were the, F, were the SOCOM guys. They were AFSOC guys when I retired. And they brought in, after I was gone, some ACC guys came and they built a WIC. And I mean, that's probably the most proud thing I have, you know, that I've been a part of. I mean, I know I didn't write the syllabus and that's a lot of work that goes into it. But that is, that's my, I'm very, I mean, I just, I'm elated every time I think about it and what we've done. And I say we, because it's not just me. It's the guys that busted their ass out there doing good jobs and, and making up for the buffoonery. You know, and I've even said it. I go, before I left, it was just an AIC. Well, it wasn't even that. It's like, you're going to be a wick. And people, nah, well, you know, no, you became a wick. And I said, eventually, one of these wick guys are going to be the chief of this place. You got that. 
the only thing we haven't accomplished is the Reisner. And I, yep. I maybe because there's not a war going on, it might be difficult. But if something kicks back in and, and we get a guy who's gone through this, who really makes an impact on how we're fighting, I think there's a very, very high possibility that you could see that happen. For sure. No, without a doubt. Um, and, you know, thanks for everything that you did do uh, for the weapon school and stuff like that. And for CCT, uh, you know, not just training while at Rhine mine, uh, you know, all the stuff in the nineties, even after separating all the training that you took guys through post nine 11, and then definitely for the weapon school. And, uh, and really the cherry on top was the, the pimp yeah. story. So I'm glad you were able to, to put that out there. Um, but Phil, we we definitely got to bring you on again because you, like I said, you're one hell of a a, a good storyteller. Story but you. um, oh, I I'm sure some of them would probably need to be like a Patreon episode to Maybe. behind a paywall yeah. so that you know we don't get so the children you know, can't just flagged or canceled yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've also stepped so on, don't get and, I, and I'm willing to share all those stories so guys don't make the same mistakes I made. I have no problem talking about anything anybody wants to talk about that I've done in my career because it should be transparent we're in the military we represent this community we're taking the taxpayer dollar to do what we're doing should be transparent every everything we do should be transparent and if you can't do that you know and you, if you screw up you get called out and you get your butt kicked but you quit do you cry or do you continue to push it so I'm glad to come back and discuss that more it up. yeah man all right. Well, everybody out there, appreciate you tuning in, listening. Please like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave us a review, and then be on the lookout for uh, future giveaways and future episodes. We're out here. Later, guys.